In this episode of the Powder Coder Podcast, we feature an up-and-coming coder, Jace Kayser. I stumbled upon his blog one day and discovered a fountain of inspiration like no other. If you're looking for solace in the life of powder coating, this young man lends you a reprieve. He shares pearls of wisdom about the subtleties of coating from a self-reliant mindset and covers everything from lessons learned in technical problem solving to managing customers and employee expectations. I call him the Ralph Waldo Emerson of powder coating. I hope you will call him a friend. Follow along as he melds his life experience with growing his powder coating biz. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to episode 10. I'm Kim Scott, your host of the Ross Coat Powder Coater podcast, where we interview influencers in the industry and cover trending topics so powder coaters can effectively learn and grow their business. Today, we're reaching out to interview Jace Kayser from Kayser Blasting and Coating. He's out of um, Nebraska, and I was attracted to his story as a as a powder coater or the wife of a powder coater uh, because he has an approach on his blog that addresses the subtleties of coatings, the struggles with it, learning the business, and addressing his customers' expectations. And I found it very inspirational. I wanted to bring this podcast uh, to you today because uh, I found it's almost like he has, it's a training manual and a journal all in one. So I'm happy to welcome Jace Kayser to the show. Welcome, Jace. Hi, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, now I found you, uh, Tim Pennington. So I'm just going to give a shout out to Tim Pennington of the Finishings and Coatings Online Magazine. If you don't follow uh, Tim, he usually is uh, giving featured focuses and addresses all kinds of coating uh, content in the coatings and finishing from powder coatings to liquid coatings and, and beyond. So if you uh, don't follow Tim or you don't get his email uh, in your inbox, uh, go ahead and head over to uh, his Finishing and Coatings magazine online. Uh, Just Google it and you will find, uh, you can sign up to get his newsletter. But recently, uh, Kayser got featured in his magazine and I enjoyed reading the, the, uh, what was said in the magazine it was just a feature of, you know, they were just featuring you as a coder. Uh, but there was one thing that really uh, brought an attention to me it was just an introduction to your uh, business and stuff. But I really found something that you said that was really compelling um, and that you're grateful for your customers for the positive reviews and stuff. But later on, you said, 
uh, the more transparent and communicate communicative we are, the more satisfied our customers are likely to be. And that's the one reason why I wanted to bring you on the show, because I do think that there are barriers to market uh, and and communicate and especially when communicating um, to your customers the subtleties of powder coating um, and uh, the struggles that you have as a powder coater to educate customers or um, you know shed light on the process but before we dive deep into that I want to know how long have you been powder coating in the industry and or how did you get started talk me through it okay well my parents started Kaiser Painting Incorporated uh, before I was born back in 1987 and that started as a residential painting company so it started off with my dad painting houses and um, then it kind of grew from there and went into more commercial painting so um, like new construction hospitals and schools and office buildings um, in 2004 my mom and dad added a blasting facility that was just adjacent to the building that they already had. And uh, so they started blasting and then doing, I call it liquid coating, it's still painting, but it's just it, all the painting was done inside a booth, um, like high performance industrial type coatings. And then in 2014 is when we finally started powder coating. And so when I was younger, growing up in high school, I always worked uh, in the summers, usually in the Kaiser painting shop, painting and finishing wood and I would also work in the blast shop a little bit um, like in the blast cabinet or if our main blaster was gone or on vacation I would get in there and try to wrangle the blast hose as a young middle schooler or high schooler <laughs> uh, which can be which can be challenging um, just because it's, that's probably the most physically demanding job that we have and then when we started the powder coating I was 2014. So I was in college at that time. Um, I had just finished my, let's see, fourth year. It took me five years. I went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for mechanical engineering. Um, so I've always been interested in setting up equipment and and um, how it all works, how it goes together. And so I was interested in helping get all the powder coating stuff set up. So over that summer between my fourth and fifth year so going into my senior year of college we started putting up a, the powder coating oven and booth and um i sprayed our first parts and then we we hired one guy to help run it and then i finished my senior year of college and then uh it was i was getting right to the end of my senior year i was trying to decide if i wanted to go to graduate school or if i wanted to um, just be done with school and have my bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and just go in the family business. Um, and it was a tough decision. I was going back and forth because I had done a lot of undergraduate research in engineering and that particular professor really wanted me to go on and be a grad student and get my master's and get my PhD. Um, but the powder coating was really taken off and, um, dad really needed my help in the sense that like he was running the Kaiser painting, so the commercial residential painting, also the blasting, and then the powder coating. And he could he could run all three of them, but it was like he was the limiting factor because you can't be in three places at once all day, every day. Um, and so it, ultimately it was my decision, but they really needed help. So I was like, you know what, 
I helped put all the powder coating stuff together and I, I'm getting really kind of tired of school. I'm not sure if I will use a master's or PhD because in the long run, I kind of wanted to get into the family business someday and, and hopefully take it over. So I decided that a bachelor's degree was enough and then went and started helping and jumped right in helping the powder coating right away on the floor. Um, and then since then it's grown. So that was 2015. That would have been when I started working out full time. That's been five years ago now, a little over five years. So it was summer of, of 2015 and we've grown a lot since then. Powder coating has been our fastest growing division, um, ever since that time. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we're at now. Now, instead of being on the floor and doing all the work, I'm mostly in the office. Um, trying to organize all the work and get all of the logistical stuff done so all of our team members can focus on their craft. Uh, everybody's really good at what they do, and so it's my job to get all their obstacles out of the way so they can just do their job. If, if our sprayers can come in and spray all day and our um, washers can come in and, and pre-treat all day and not have to worry about equipment breaking and running out of supplies and materials, then they can do their job. A lot better. So that's what I focus on. I'm mostly scheduling and ordering, being a purchaser and quoting and dealing with customers. I still like to get on the floor when I can because that's usually the funnest part is when you can just get in and work and not have any interruptions. Yeah. And I, get, get, get sweaty and stuff. Work, that's, that, right? that's fun. Yeah. Get lost in the work and just draw. You know, I, I always was like that with painting. It just, you know, let let myself work without having any, you know, distractions and stuff like that. Yeah. But that, you know, the logistics always, is hard. You know, it's not yeah, that easy. It definitely is. You have to kind of know it all in order to understand how to logistically set something up. And it sounds like you guys do it all then, like liquid and powder. You're all both sides. Correct. Yeah. So we have our blast and liquid booths are indoor. They're um, 18 foot wide, 15 foot tall by 50 foot long. So we can do like wow. concrete trucks and dump trucks. We do a lot of the 40 foot shipping containers um, mm -hmm. for construction companies. They like to use those as job trailers. So mm -hmm. we have that in one of our one of our buildings, and then our other building is is fully powder coating. So. And as a family business, are you the only family? You know, the son, or are there other siblings involved? I have a younger brother. Um, he's not involved in the family business. He is also a mechanical engineer. Um, and he decided to take an engineering job right out of college. It was a really good job. And um, so he's he's still doing that right now. And I don't know that he has much desire to come into the family business, maybe someday. Um, but he he's really likes the engineering job he has right now. So that's kind of where he's at. But yeah, I do have a younger brother. So do you uh, and your dad, I'm assuming your mom and dad are still seem like they're young enough. They're still involved in the business or are trying to get more hands off. Um, so they, I would say, so they still run the, um, Kaiser painting side. So, and then what I say, I run is the Kaiser blasting and coating side. So the Kaiser painting is the commercial and residential painting. Like I talked about my dad's mm -hmm. still there every day. You know, he's, there from just like I am from five in the morning till five at night. Um, and so he's doing the day-to-day -day office running of the painting side. 
and my mom does all of the accounting and bookkeeping for for all of the all of our divisions. So they're yeah. still there every day. Um, they are getting to the point where they want to slow down a little bit. But as far as like the day to day work and decisions and the blasting and powder coating, um, I pretty much handle all that now. And um, it's been uh, interesting. I've ne- I haven't thought about it much, but when I reflect on it, um, as I've been I'm surprised how quickly my mom and dad just kind of um, let me run with it. Like, as I started going, um, you know, they, my dad is a very, he's also very hands-on. He likes to be involved. And he's very particular. Um, but he's let me make my own mistakes. Um, if we have a disagreement, he's usually the one that will back down and he'll just kind of let me learn the hard way sometimes. Other times he'll step in and, and say, you know, like, no, I know that I did this before and this way isn't going to work. Um, but they do a really good job of just um, letting me go ahead and, and run with it. And obviously if there's when there's big, really big decisions to make, I involve them and we all three talk about it and come up with a good decision. But I've never felt like um, – that I was, I don't really feel like their son when I'm at work, I guess. So when I'm at work, I call them Jay and Sherry. I don't call them mom and dad. Yeah. Um, I think and that helps. Just, yeah. I'm just never, it doesn't feel like it's mom and dad watching over me at work. It just feels like we're, uh, we have good working relationship if we work alongside each other really well and, and compliment each other. Cause I look at stuff a lot differently than they do. Cause I'm younger, uh, yeah. went to engineering school and I'm involved with all, you know, I'm interested in technology and every trying to do everything faster and on the cloud and more remote and using yeah. technology to help help us go faster. And and they're, you know, used to doing it. The, I don't necessarily want to say old school, but, you know, that older way. But they have all the experience, too. So there's, there's I might have a lot of new ideas that can help. But then when I run them by them, they can give me their input like, OK, that might work. But don't forget about this, this, and this, because they're thinking about things that I don't think about. So. That you have, yeah, that you haven't even, because you don't have as much experience. Yeah, it makes right. So, do you think that that? I mean, what sets Kaiser apart from other powder coaters in your area? Um, I would say our quality. Um, we pay a really, really close attention to detail, and in general, our feedback from our customers are is that our quality is usually typically better than other places. Um, and what going along with that, we're usually more expensive. Um, we hear that as a lot of feedback too, but, um, I would say definitely our quality. We're very particular about everything that we do and, uh, from start to finish. So there, there's a lot of intricacies and blasting and coatings that, uh, the general customer doesn't necessarily realize at the surface. I think mm-hmm. when it comes to any kind of coding, um, everybody kind of thinks like it's just painting. I can do it myself. I can go to Menards and get a aerosol can and, and spray paint my car parts myself, which you can, but it, it's a lot different and there's a lot more to it than, than people think. So um, when it comes down to it, it's hard to explain to customers and that's kind of what we do our blog and stuff. It's hard to explain to customers when they're coming in to drop parts off or get a quote um, what's all involved and all the steps that we're taking to make sure that their coding is going to look good, but then also uh, have longevity. Because we're, since all the substrates that we coat in the case of blessing and coding side, it's all metal. 
Um, and so we're, tr- we're going for corrosion protection is what's really important. Um, right. And obviously everybody, when it comes to powder coating, we do a lot of general public stuff, so lawn furniture, and car parts, and all, all kinds of stuff like that. So they're more looking for the aesthetics, but if it's going outside, it's really important to have, you know, make sure the substrate's prepped properly with the right blast and pre-treated properly with the right chemical before you get either paint or powder coating over the top to make sure that they have a good long lasting finish. So I think all of that attention to detail sets us aside from everybody else, but that's hard to, to convey to customers really hard. Yeah. And so, yeah. I, I think that's what I found so compelling about your blog. And just for the listeners, you can actually find the blog at uh, Kaser, K-A-S-E-R blasting dot com forward slash blog uh and uh i feel like it's i guess when i started to read it um it's a it's an ode to powder coating (laughs) i kind of uh you know i kind of thought wow this could be uh a training manual for the subtleties of powder coating for both consumers or your customers and your employees uh it's a journal it's a it's a journey it's um you know i don't know your writing style uh intrigued me i guess i don't know if you're doing all of the writing uh but uh, i think all of the ones that recent ones that i've read um you know how do you get how do you get inspired uh, to write? Is it something happens with a customer or a, an event happens at work and then that's the impetus? It's a combination of things that um, if, if somebody takes the time to go through and read all of our blogs, they might be able to tell that some of them are a little more um, passionate and ranty than others. Um, so sometimes it's a frustration that triggers me to record it. Other times it's just, I want to help educate um, about a certain thing. Um, we're also, we really try to be active on, on social media, on all forms and blogging is just one of them that we do on our website. Um, and so, and I work with, uh, we have a couple team members that help me with that. Um, I can't take all the credit for writing the blogs. The content is definitely coming from me. Um, and typically the process that we use to do the blogs is I'll record myself talking. just kind of like we're doing right now. And then I give that to Chloe. Um, I'll give her a shout out and she's the one who watches my videos and then she, she writes it out. So she's using all of my words and context, but she is a very, very good writer and has a, has a good way with words to, to get some of my um, long winded, rants down onto the page and, and actually make sense. So she does a very good job of that. I can't take credit for the physical writing, but the, uh, yeah, the topics just kind of come up. So, um, there's a lot of things that happen on a daily basis and usually it's just something that happened that particular day. I try to just, when I'm thinking about wanting to do any type of social media content, I just try to think about, you know, what happened today instead of trying right. to make up something special that's usually hard to do it's easier to just kind of go off of what what's on my mind what i'm dealing with you know a ton of customers call in and ask the same question in a day or or i feel like i'm answering the same thing over and over again or explaining the same thing over and over again 
and I just feel like we need to make a blog about it. Yeah, that was, I mean, that's pretty much how I got started. Uh, someone suggested to me one day when we first launched our website, you know, oh, well, you need a blog, you know, and I'm like, oh, God, what's that? You know, like, really? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was just quite, uh, quite simply put, what is the most asked question when somebody answers the phone? Uh, what is the question they ask the most? And that's how it all started. Uh, and Lo and behold, like a year later, after that blog post was posted, we kind of reached number one in Google. Um, and then it kind of just took off from there. And that's when I realized we we were actually writing to consumer, a consumer-based market rather than to other powder coders or, uh, you know, to any other uh, audience, you know. But I, I, I think what I like about what you're doing is – for those that have thought, oh, I need a blog too, and or I need a video log or a YouTube channel or or this and that, I think that I think what I like best about your approach is it seems simple. Um, you're just recording yourself. Uh, it's you're dealing with the day to day. Yes, you have help along the way. You know, you've got people recrafting or redrafting the, the message, but uh, but it doesn't have to be, it can be crude. It can be like crude in the sense that it's non-processed and still be a great blog or a great blog uh, in addressing to your customer or to your Instagram uh, audience or Facebook or whatever. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I guess that the way that the writing or the blog that I, I just don't feel it that it's pressed or, or, uh, not the word, that's not the word I want to reach, but like, uh, it's not a forced thing. You know what I mean? Right. It's something that yeah. happens organically and it can be just that for, for, for everybody. Because as you know, with every job you're creating, uh, content, um, whether it's a tough job or an easy job or, uh, a shiny, pretty color job or a difficult customer job or any of the different, you know, that's the beauty of powder coating is that you're constantly creating content to write about uh, because with every new project is content. Yeah. And like the reality of the situation is, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is like we're running a small business. So um my, I have a lot of responsibilities that I have to attend to to keep the business running. So I don't really have time to sit there and, and think up these very intricate plans about what we're going to do on social media and what I need to write a blog about. So it just kind of happens on the fly because I just simply don't have that much time to dedicate to a, you know, a, a long drawn out strategy for it. It's just whatever's popped into my mind. That, that's all I have time to go with. So I just go with it. Right. And so techno, you know, we talked earlier about using software technology and apps. Can you break down for us? Like, are you using specific apps to help you? Or are you just going straight to the, to the platforms themselves to uh, kind of maybe dive a little deeper in there? Is there a specific app you're using or things you uh, like? Not particularly. I mean, it's just, you know, we use a lot of spreadsheets. So like Excel and Google Sheets. Um, we just like to keep track of what we're doing and and then scheduling. You could also do that in any type of spreadsheet program. Um, 
we like Google Sheets because that's, you know, on the internet and on the cloud. So you can access it from multiple places. You can access it from a phone or a tablet or, you know, the computer in, in the powder shop or the computer in my office instead of having to be at one particular place. Um, yeah, I agree. That's, so, uh, I, we use Google a lot too. Um, but when you're recording, what are you recording just on your phone or how does that work out? Oh, for content. Yeah. I just record on, I'm just using my phone. I've tried, uh, you know, they have those kind of like selfie stick things that'll sell. I think it's called a gimbal. It'll self balance the phone. And I've used that a little bit, but it just, it boils down to time. So the people that help me with the social media, um, they want, they like that and they want me to use it because it balances the phone better and gives you a better video. But I'm like, man, I got, it takes me 30 minutes to get that thing set up and working right. I don't have that. So I'm just going to go with my phone. Like if I have a full day, like a Saturday or something that I can dedicate to it, then I'll, I'll get off some tripods and set some stuff up and get the lighting right. But otherwise, no, I'm just using my cell phone. I mean, nowadays I'm used to it because I grew up with cell phones, but, um, they can do almost everything. It's basically like a computer in your pocket. So if you have a pretty new phone, you can pretty much take pictures, video, record yourself, and then all that content is, is good enough to put on social media. Yeah, I've, I've struggled with the gimbal thing too. I, I uh, Maybe someday. It's just one more thing to add to my list of right. uh, many, many things. Um, uh yeah. Okay. Well, this is, I, I, I encourage everybody to, I, some of the titles from your blog um, are, I mean, some of the, some of the content that you've brought about um, and you're putting out quite a bit of content. I mean, you, you've put out something at least once or twice a week here in the last, uh, so you've got lots of content to read through. And I, I like it because you know, you could be struggling with a project uh, as a powder coater and reading your stories. Uh, here's one, uh, three rules of training. I thought that that was very valuable. That's the most recent one that you've uh, put up. And, you know, you're, you're, you're a general manager at Kaiser. And um, I'm imagining this is, you know, you make it sound so easy, but I know it probably took you a little while to figure this stuff out. And here you are just right here, super easy. You've got three different points that you could, that you're training, you know, that you're using that other powder coders could read uh, to figure out how to, to work through some of their training issues as well. Like over, you know, there's never enough over explaining, um, figuring out uh, the progression of a job um, and investing in your time wisely and stuff. And I, I think that that's, this is the valuable stuff that I think uh, powder coders should be reading on a regular basis um, and stuff, you know. Uh, does it seem to help you to get it out? I mean, all of that, the, the stuff like that last article that we wrote, um, that's a little more, I would say in depth or, or more process oriented and less about like coding a part or something. Um, that's just been kind of learned. I've learned, learned that over time. I definitely managed differently. I think we have a blog about re pretty recently. I don't think it's that one, but it's one right before that about how, when I first started, um, 
I thought the best way to get my point across was yelling and, and intimidating. And um, I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't. So it's it's been dry trial now, really. Um, and so throughout the, t- the years, we've kind of, and I know that for me to say that, you're probably thinking, yeah, but you're still super young. But, you know, it's been five years for me. So that's a big portion of my life. Um, and that's just kind of what we've learned. We finally have gotten to a point where the team members that we have now have been there for a while. Um, we have pretty high turnover and we still do. It, it seems like when you're trying to fill a new position, you just got to be prepared. You know, the, the closer that you can keep yourself to reality, um, and not get too high and not get too low when things are going bad, then it's, you know, it goes a little bit better. So when it comes to training and hiring, just we try to just be realistic and just instead of, you know, when you're really busy and you're hiring people, you can be really, you can get frustrated really easy or really hope that someone's going to do really good because you got a big project coming up and, and you need a couple more really good people. Um, that know exactly what they're doing and have experience, but a lot of the time, even if they do have experience, they're not going to do it exactly the way you, you know, your particular team does it. Everybody kind of has their own ends and outs. Um, so that's where we kind of came up with the over explaining, because when you have someone that you feel like has experience and you just assume that they know, um, most of that, and I, I didn't really come across an article because it's hard to put, but I can put it better now that we're, we're doing an interview in words is that um, a lot of my background, mechanical background comes from, I used to race when I was younger. So when I was nine years old, I started dirt track racing and I raced all the way until I was 25. Um, it's just recently that we stopped doing that. Um, so I'm really mechanically inclined and used to what every tool is called and, and what the size of bolts are and, and just looking at something and telling if that's going to hold or if that's going to break or if that's going to work or not, just because I've been around mechanical stuff my whole life ever since I was little. Um, and so we have some team members that come in that maybe have powder coating experience or maybe don't. Um, but they, I take for granted that they don't necessarily have that background. They haven't used all the tools I have. They haven't been around all the mechanical stuff I have. So, um, in the beginning, I used to not really explain that stuff and just assumed like, they knew exactly what I was talking about or, you know, if you go to hang a really heavy thing, a really heavy part, um, and you're hanging it with a forklift because it's too heavy for two or three people to lift it. So you have to get the forklift under it. It's just natural for me to go, okay, we're going to need some like really thick hooks, probably big chain to hang this because right. if nobody can lift it, little tiny hooks aren't going to hold it. It's going to fall. And if, someone doesn't have experience with, with mechanical type stuff and, and being around things like that, they just, they simply don't know. And it's not because it's no fault to them. They just don't have experience with it. And so those are the little things um, that sometimes seem obvious to some people just because of their experience. Um, and then, but you still got to train on it. And I've, we found that it's easier to, to over explain and, and keep saying the same thing and, and keep explaining stuff and, and let the person uh, roll their eyes at you and be like, okay, yeah, I know you told me, you told me, I know that. Of course I know that. Um, it's better to do that than assume they know something and then something goes wrong or more importantly, like someone gets hurt because of a safety thing that someone didn't know. Yeah, I think, um, well, 
you know, it's easy. I think most people think, well, I've told you once, how many more times do I have to tell you, you know, but not everybody. Uh, well, I mean, my, I, I have a daughter that has a, you know, a learning issue and, you know, it, it did take multiple times, but once she got it in her head, it was in there for good. You know what I mean? It was just this overcoming this learning curve. And then once she learned the, the task or whatever, it just, it was just, it never leaves it. Right. And it is hard to adapt to your training, um, to multiple levels. Right. And I mean, one thing that was said in this blog called, uh, busting the myth of self-direction, um, the intensity level ranges from moderate flurry to fog of war. Uh, I, I love that because that's exactly what happens in a very busy powder coating shop. You know, it can, you know, it's this hurry up and wait. And then once it's in the, in the oven, then you're sitting there waiting for the timer to, to ding, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So, it, Absolutely. It, you know, how do you, how do you keep your people busy during that slow time? Do they, what, what are some strategies there? Because I'm sure a lot of powder coaters do have this, uh, kind of uh, busy and then hurry up and wait. And they, what do they do with their customers? I mean, what, I mean, not their customers, but their 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 employees. What do you do? Um, so we've, we're lucky enough that we have a big enough shop and we have enough equipment now that we try to keep a pretty good flow going. Um, and we have enough people that you know, someone can be hanging, um, someone can be uh, in the wash bay pre-treating, someone can be spraying, and then someone can be packing. Um, and so as long as the flow is going pretty well and, it, and I do the, uh, a good enough job at scheduling it, it usually can kind of flow out. And obviously you have to have enough work to be able to do that. Um, but if, if you have enough parts there, usually there's always something for someone to be doing. We try to keep someone spraying all day long. Um, and we usually do a good job of that. Um, and so usually there's, you know, there's always parts in the oven. There's always parts cooling down. Um, and there's parts that are cold enough that can actually be being packaged. And so as those are being packaged and carts are being opened up, then we just hang the next job and, and it just keeps going in the assembly line. It doesn't always work that smooth. Um, the hardest, uh, probably most stressful job at across all three of our divisions is running the shop floor and the powder, uh, powder coating shop, just because you have to be thinking two or three steps ahead of everybody because you're right. All of a sudden, somebody like, okay, I'm done with that. What do you want me to do now? And it does happen, or we call it the flow. So how things are flowing through the shop, it gets backed up or messed up or turned around. And now you're waiting, you know, there is stuff in the oven um, and there's no carts to pack. And so now you're sitting there waiting. So uh, we just try to keep everybody busy as best we can. And if you have, um, if you're super busy and you have plenty of work, usually it's not an issue you can you know, start prepping the next thing mm -hmm. or, or something like that. But sometimes it does get challenging. Um, uh, we just, I, I spent a lot of time scheduling, you know, normally I'll, I'll schedule for based on due date when the customers need it. And then I look back through in kind of group by color, which most powder coders do. And then I'll, I'll look through to try to see like, okay, how's this actually going to flow through our shop? Like, are we going to have a, you know, we can't spray, three things in a row that take three hours each to spray, because obviously if we're going to have a guy and they're spraying on one thing for three hours, eventually everything's going to come to a standstill. Right. You know, right. 
So you, you have to be careful of that. And, you know, sometimes it just happens. You got a lot of big stuff and you have to spray a lot of big stuff and it out on the shop floor it kind of slows down a little bit. But um, then all of a sudden the next day, it's, you know, it's usually, it's funny because sometimes, you know, the the mood on the shop floor is like kick back and relax a little bit. It doesn't happen much, but when, when the flow gets backed up, um, it will. And then it's like, everybody thinks like, Oh, we, we're ahead finally. And we're doing all right. And then the next, by middle of the next day, it's like, like, um, you know, a war zone over there and trying to, you know, now you can't get enough help on the shop floor to get stuff packaged and hung back up. So it, it just kind of flips back and forth. It's, it can be stressful, but once, you know, it seems like the newer team members get really stressed out by it. But after you've been there for a while, you just kind of get used to it. You you learn to appreciate the days where it gets a little bit slower because, you know, uh, the next eight days are probably going to be super, super busy and fast and you're not going to have time to sit down. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I would agree that that's probably more of an owner's perspective, too. Like when you're an owner or you're a single powder coater, uh, um, with maybe one or two employees, you know, like you're used to that, uh, just cause that's your business. Right. Mm -hmm. But how do you, yeah. how do you convey that, uh, to make sure that you're, you know, that you have conveyed that thinking through your team as well. And I, I like this, uh, one called scheduling backward instead of forward. And I think you were kind of, that's what you were kind of talking about, um, earlier, right. Is you have to think about, the end result first before you can figure out all the different steps in between uh, to make that deadline. Yeah, so I'll answer the one about our team members trying to communicate with that with them. Um, that so recently we transferred a new guy into running our our powder coating shop floor. Um, the one guy that had run it has ran it since we started. He was the first person we hired. Um, and we kind of moved him to more of a production manager across both the blasting and powder coating shops. So he, he's helping me more um, everywhere now instead of just on the powder coating shop floor as far as kind of like overseeing things. And so um, we've been training this, the other guy that's learning um, how to run the floor in the powder coating shop. He's been with us for a couple of years um, and, and is really good at all the tasks um, hanging backing, spraying, washing. So he's, he's very well-versed in all that. Um, but it was definitely a learning curve when when he first started, you know, having to think about the schedule and, and look farther forward, look farther down the schedule. And, and really this, his job now is kind of think about what everybody else is doing in the powder cutting shop instead of worrying himself about doing the physical work. Um, and it was a learning curve. He, after the first week, he's like, wow, I didn't realize how much thinking that you guys do on a daily basis, thinking ahead, not thinking about what we're actually doing today. Um, so it's just, it's a lot of um, talking in the mornings before we get started and kind of explain like, hey, this is how I would do this. Don't forget about this. You know, if, if something gets backed up or something, think about a, a few things that can be a safety valve for you. So somebody can remember we have this rework that we, that we just set off the side last week, but we still got to get all that re-sanded so that could be something somebody can do so to to communicate it to, to the team it's um it's difficult and, and they kind of have to learn um by trial and error a little bit like so they're not until they start making the mistakes themselves and realize like oh that's why 
we don't like to do, uh, don't want to do it in that order. You know, you can tell them that as much as you want, but if, until they experience it themselves, then they really get it. And then the scheduling and uh, backwards to the forwards, that's, that kind of comes from my frustration of that. And, and I think every, you probably can attest to this and, and anybody in the coding or finishing industry can, is that we're the last people in the, the manufacturing chain typically. Um, and we have to make, we're the ones that are responsible for making the parts look nice and, and last a long time looking nice. Yet we get the littlest amount of time to do it typically because we're, you know, we're right at the very end. So we're the last thing before the due date before the customer gets it. And so all of the mess ups and extra days have already been used up by the time it got, by the time it gets to us typically or any coder, it's already past due. So you can't get it done fast enough. And I, that frustrates me because it's like, you know, we have to, it has to be perfect when it leaves our shop because that's what everybody sees right away. The customer's going to, if there's a, uh, a nick in the finish, you know, they're frustrated with whatever it is, even if that doesn't necessarily mean that the part's not functional anymore. They're just frustrated that there's a scuff or, you know, you missed this weld or you missed this corner. Um, and so I, my proposal and, and line of thinking on that is like, why don't we schedule backwards, not forwards? Why, why does it that um, customers go to a manu- metal manufacturing place with an idea and they make the prints up and they come up with what they think it's going to cost and how long it's going to take? And then, you know, typically metal companies are contact, you know, quoting the powder coating for their customers. So like metal companies will ask me, hey, can you quote this? And I do. And so they add that into their quote to their customer. And mm-hmm. my, my thought is like, you know, and it's totally different. It, it, it would be odd at first to do it, but why doesn't the end customer come to the powder coater first and say, hey, this is what I want it to look like in the end. And this is what I want. And this is my due date. So then as a coder, you're like, okay, this is how much time we need for coding. And we start working backwards. And then I contact the metal fabrication company that we already do business with. It's just normally they contact me to help, but now I'm contacting them and saying, Hey, here's a print that my customer wants this made. You know, well, this is when I need you to have it done by so I can get it powder coated and get it to my customer. You know, will that work? And would you have the right material? And can you get that done? And I feel like scheduling that way, you would be better, have a better chance to hit the due date. If you'd still have difficulties, but, um, and pro- some of that thinking comes from my engineering background. Cause I like building things and I'm familiar with metal manufacturing. So I feel like I could help the customer if they had questions. Um, and maybe some power cutters don't, don't feel like they can do that, but I just think it would be interesting to, to flip it around and schedule that way instead of, I feel like the end customer would be happier cause it always seems like, um, the end customer is frustrated that, uh, it's past due, you know? Yeah, I I 100% agree with you on those two valid points because, uh, again, it just comes down to educating the customer and growing powder coating and the powder coating experience, the powder coating marketplace. Um, I think that I think that that will be the future because people will come to you for their personal projects and stuff too. 
it is always it is kind of frustrating. I know that we've been in that same situation where we're at the end and there's it's just nothing but pressure, a pressure cooker situation to bring it to fruition for the end result. And then, you know, to 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 get back and forth between customers and the welder or the producer or whatever, I don't know, contractor, it, it just it can get kind of mucky. Um, and I don't, you know, we've, you know, I don't know what the answer is at this moment. I guess the only future I see is just training up the customer or the consumer market uh, that you can go to your powder coater first. I just wrote a blog post on how to um, how to paint or how to coat your gate, and uh, you know, it's it's a landmark post, so it's. It's something that could be featured in an online magazine or architectural magazine somehow, it, where it just breaks it down for if you were a homeowner, uh, what substrate do you pick? What coatings do you pick? What, you know, let tell you about this, sand, what is sandblasting? Why do you need it? You know, I just kind of walk people through choosing a color, choosing a, you know, a, a contractor, that sort of thing. And it, you know, um, it, it really, you have to kind of break it out, but how do you share it with everybody? That's the key, right? You know, like how do you get that out? How does your how does the consumer find your website? You know, that that would solve a lot of problems, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it would. And that's why we try to post as much content uh, as we can. Like you said, we we post blogs pretty regularly, but we're that was probably where we post the least is on our website on the blog. So we post on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram pretty much every single day. Twitter and Instagram, I think it's a little less, but Facebook and LinkedIn we're posting every day on um, and trying as, as much as possible to keep the content fresh. And I always want to post more. Um, and the, the people that work with me on all of our content always are like, yeah, but then that means you have to make more content, Jason. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I know I don't have time, but I still want to post more. So just keep bugging me until I get you enough content so we can post more because um, the more that we post, the more that it helps educate people. And, and then I just, hopefully in the end, it makes our job easier. And like um, that article that, that Tim wrote on us, um, Tim found us because we post on uh, LinkedIn. So we, sh- I think we shared like a blog from our website on LinkedIn, but he read that and then reached out to us and said, Hey, can I use that blog on my website? And we're like, yeah, you can just, just uh, put a link to our website in there if you could. And then uh, a few weeks later, then he asked to just write a, an article on us. So if we wouldn't have been uh, making any kind of content and we wouldn't have been posting on LinkedIn, Tim would have never found us. Um, so it, de- it definitely works. I mean, it takes, a lot of effort and you have to put a lot of effort into it. I mean, we've been posting on social media for like three years now and that was the first time that someone wanted to write a magazine article on us. So. Yeah. Well, you know, the coatings world is huge. I mean, everybody knows that and uh, it is, it can be noisy too. Right. So it's hard to tease out and find these, uh, you know, people like you that are doing something a little trend setting or a little different or a little, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of get this, like, 
as I, you know, navigate the coding's world, um, I, I find that like from an industrial perspective, many of the people that work in coatings, whether they're middle managers or pencil pushers or phone answerers or coders, you know, coating liquid or, or powder, it's kind of not much happens. It, it's a very slow moving animal, right? Uh, I think actually powder coatings move a little faster than just liquid coatings because I think liquid coatings is just gigantic. I mean, we, we kind of just realized that a, a couple weeks ago when we interviewed Kevin Corson from PCI and all the, how big they found uh, the uh, liquid mar market to be uh, and the decorator market to be, it's just gigantic. Um, but in, because, just because it's big doesn't mean it moves very fast, right? So it tends to be kind of on the boring side. Powder coatings in general, if you're just doing a single coat co color application, that's just single coat color application. It's, I think where the thing, the movement is happening is a lot of the creative side, whether it's blog posts or new finishes or new application styles or, uh, you know, artistic uh, level kind of stuff, you know, that's where there's a lot of movement, but it's hard when you're in such a big industry to, when you're doing something exciting or, uh, new or refreshing, it's hard to get people's attention to it just because they're so, it's such a big place. Right. Yeah. And, and there's kind of two sides of it. And, um, so the, the, like Chloe, I said, she helps. Um, and now we have a new, um, team member that's helping Abby, helping with social media. They they both really like the bright colors and the general public stuff that we do, where it's a bird bath, a lawn ornament, things like that, because those are cool to look at. People like to see those. So that's one side of, uh, you know, like the artistic side, like you said, and people latch onto that and like seeing more of that. And, and I'm more on the side, like I like the technical side. Um, so I like, you know, know why does pre-treatment work what chemistries work better than others and so there's kind of two different types of consumers of, uh, of like content or just two different I think two different mainly two different types of people in the coding industry there's the ones that are really focused on the aesthetic finishes and those are usually the paint and powder company right and the salespeople and everybody kind of in that world and then there's the, um, the surface prep guys and the and I would include pre-treatment with the surface prep where that's more like nitty gritty underneath the coating. So nobody sees it. Um, but it's, it's still really important, probably the most important part. And, but that side gets a lot more technical. And I think I like that side more just because I've, you know, I've always been hands-on and then my mechanical engineering, I under degree, I understand, um, a lot of what's happening down on the, on the microscopic level with the chemistries and, and, um, surface profiles and things like that. So I think that's why I like that side of things. That's what I'm most familiar with. And so I like to talk about those and take pictures of that and make content of that because I um, think that that's the most important, one of the most important parts. And I like to communicate that to people because you don't see that part. It's covered up. Um, but then, like I said, there's the other side that everybody likes to see the nice, cool looking finish. Um, and I like that too, but we are act more industrial than we are, um, the general public side and so yeah. most of what we do is industrial stuff so like 
if all we did was take pictures of what we were coding, for one, it's kind of a lot of the same thing over and over again, or every month we do a run of the same thing. And it's kind of bland stuff, you know, it's gray and, and uh, black and stuff like that. And every once in a while we have cool pieces that come through. Um, so we, that's why our, our content, I feel like it's a pretty good mix of both. Sometimes it leans one way or the other, and it kind of depends on what platform we're on of, of, of what we post, you know, like Instagram, that's really picturey. Yeah, so you don't different. usually do many blogs and stuff there, but, but you do, do bright colors and stuff. So. Yeah. And you can take a portion of whatever's said in the blog and use it as the script for, you know, or the message for your Instagram. I mean, um, it, it, I think, uh, you know, if you could deconstruct a blog post or a blog post, you could literally, you know, use different portions and each, each piece could be optimized for whatever the platform is, you know, LinkedIn has its own kind of, what are people wanting from you there? And Instagram is more story type telling. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I like how you are able to grasp and do well with the different kinds of platforms because they are so different. Most, a lot of, you know, most of the custom coders that focus in on automotive parts, of course, they thrive in the Instagram realm. Uh, but when you are doing other types of jobs, how do you balance that, you know, and it, you guys do seem to do it pretty well, you know, and you highlight those personal projects that, you know, you can maximize uh, shock and awe on Instagram when you can. And then, you know, uh, and then utilize the LinkedIn for more technical stuff, too. I mean, I, it seemed it's not an easy job to do, uh, but you seem to do it very well and I um but do you now just to wrap things up I mean what is there anything you'd like to see change in the industry or do you see any trends changing in the industry or coming this way um I think that uh just from the reading I've been doing it seems like that we will be powder coating um down metal substrates I mean, there's people that do it now, but it's not very widespread. I think that'll eventually someday in the next five to 10 years will become pretty common that, you know, when someone does bring in their wooden cabinet or something that's brand new, we'll be able to powder coat it. Um, so I think that that's like a technological advance that's coming. Um, that'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm excited for that. I think it's a little ways off for, um, for a, a, a job shop like us to to do that because it'll probably start in a really big, big factory scale first. But um, and then the other thing is just I, I wish there were more technical reps available just in all of the thing all of the stuff we do blasting painting and and powder coating. There's always a lot of sales reps, um, and you have your favorite ones that you like to talk to, and you have the ones that. Um, you know, you, you wish that they weren't, didn't show up because they, you know, are bothering you. I'm sure everybody has their favorites and the ones they don't like. But it usually seems like when you really have a technical question, whether it be about painting, powder coating, or blasting, if you're lucky enough, you've met one person along the way, one rep along the way that kind of knows everything pretty good. And so you can call them and ask them and they can get you pointing in the right direction. But all your other reps usually 
for whatever reason, they're like, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to have to call the lab or something. So I, and I think that just comes from their sales reps. They're not technical reps. So I, I wish that there was more technical reps in the industry. I wish it was a little more even. seems like there's a lot of, a lot more sales reps than there are technical reps. And it's probably hard to find people that want to be a technical rep. They're usually actually working in production at a company, but. Um, yeah, I don't, know if you've, I don't know if you found that the same, but sometimes it's hard when you're having a problem to, it's, it's really hard to find someone to call to, to even just have a, get a little bit of advice. Pretty much a lot of the time we feel like, well, it messed up, but we're just going to have to try something else and figure it out ourselves, which is fine. But sometimes it would be nice to, to have a, a wealth of information just to call on and say like, Hey, we've tried this three or four times. It's not working. Do you have any ideas? Yeah, I think um, I agree with you. I think, well, we're in Hawaii. So, I mean, getting anybody to come out here is just nearly impossible. Uh, we're lucky if we get a phone call or, or something or two from people. Uh, it's happening now more for us uh, email-wise, um, and people are finding the site, um, uh, you know, just in terms of searches and stuff like that. So they're finding out about what we're doing and they'll reach out to us that way. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah. You know, it's something, you know, maybe you're just in a centrally located area. So it's easy for people to drive up and or contact you or, you know, you're in a hub uh, area and stuff. Um, I think that uh, I think that there there are tech people out there that could answer those questions for you, but they're more in the consulting realm uh, rather than working for the actual company that's providing the equipment or the, 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 you know, the supplier that's providing the powder or the liquid or whatever, you know, the materials. Uh, yeah, they probably are more focused on sales than, than tech, but yeah, it's, it's nice to know if that a company, a large company that you're buying equipment from has, you know, or powders has that, has that tech person you can go to. I mean, most of it, of the time that we've called tech people, it's just plausible deniability. Well, you did it wrong. You know, yeah. okay, well, how did I do it wrong? Well, you just did it wrong. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. did you follow the directions on the application guide? Well, yes, I did yeah. several times. Right. And it still came out wrong, you know, like, it's, uh, it can be frustrating because it seems like even when you do find a tech person, uh, it just, they don't want to, they don't want to admit that their product failed. Uh, that's, that's been our biggest frustration, especially when we've got, you know, when we've got a customer requesting a specific color um, happened right. to us earlier this year. And, you know, it didn't matter what we did uh, or how we did it. It was wrong, and it's because they they threw out, they probably threw out a powder that was not quite ready for 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 public use, you know. And mm -hmm. it's just maybe they were driven to, you know. That's not every powder supplier, but um, you know, it just when it rarely does happen, you get frustrated because you feel like, well, I'm buying all this from you, and yet you're not supporting me or trying to help me in any way. So. Uh, but, so with uh, you guys being in, with you guys being in Hawaii, is there uh, powder coating manufacturers there, or when you go to order your powder, like is it a pretty long lead time when you want to get a box of powder ordered in? Well, the I mean, lead like time, like shipping wise. Yeah, it. I mean, everything about our business is based off shipping. Um, in okay. terms of what what powders we supply, what you know, who we choose, 
and why we choose it. Um, shipping and humidity, pretty much like rules our life. Uh, and if it's equipment, it's like in the in the contiguous 48, it seems like if we run out of powder quick, you know, or faster, or we forgot to order something. Usually, like we're since we're in the middle of the United States, we're like a two day shift point from pretty much everywhere for just regular ground, or we could just overnight it in. But for you guys, like if you accidentally ran out of a powder or something happened or a box found a box was bad and you had to get that same seller quickly, what what is it like for is that like hell. Is it the fastest it's you can hell. get it in four days or Yeah, right. It's hell because you almost have to anticipate that that will happen when you're in a job, especially something like a huge gate or railing or architectural level. It's like, it's almost a paranoia that happens with us because if we run out, I mean, you know, earlier you were saying, you know, because we're finishers, it's all on us to perform at the very end, despite all the failings of the and delays of a huge job. Um, mm -hmm. it, it all, you still have to bring that in on a deadline. It's, there's no, they're not going to give you any extra days because, right. uh, you know, because they brought it in five days late, you know what I mean? Kind of thing. So, yep. Yep. um, so, so basically, uh, we have to almost anticipate over ordering powder or be ready to jump on it. If we know something's going to fall short or re be redone or, or something, you know, who knows what the, the, the problem is. It's almost like you have to be paranoid about it and, and just go ahead and, you know, and then there is, okay, so say it's just basic gloss black even, you know, um, I have to, I have to go to three or four different suppliers and then figure out, is it faster to ship UP, USPS from Tennessee or UPS from from Illinois or California, you know, like, and there's it's different for every uh, supplier and it's different for every shipping method. So, based on where it's at and where it's it's crazy, like some of the stuff I've had to do, I've had to order stuff. It came in faster from Tennessee than it did from California. Like, and you wouldn't, you're like, what, you know? So yeah, mastering logistics in Hawaii is a definite skill you have to have for uh, running any kind of business here. The other thing is, is just the cost of equipment. Um, uh, whatever, you know, usually when you're in, you know, the regular continuous states, it's always usually free shipping or very low price shipping, and it can arrive within a day or two or five days at the most. Um, it's cost us just as much in shipping as it does for the equipment itself. Um, wow. it, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, I'll never forget back in 2004, we ordered our, we were painters back then. We weren't even, you know, we were just getting started with powder coating and learning about it. But um, we ordered our open face spray booth, uh, cost 2,500. And it costs twenty five hundred to ship it. <laughs> you know, that's wow. a hard thing, hard pill to swallow. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's hard enough to keep up with uh, project deadlines and and uh, customers, and then when you add that logistical wrinkle in, it's 
Yeah. I mean, that, that would make it a lot more difficult. I can't imagine if we, you know, cause I always like, if I have to overnight something, I will, like, I don't want to, cause it costs yeah. a lot of money to, you know, it costs more to ship powder than it does to, for the material itself, but at least we have that option. But yeah, I can definitely understand what you're saying, where if you got a big project, you're just going to over order just in case, just in yeah. case we have to rework half of this, we better get the extra powder because we don't have any leeway on yeah, fortunately, our customers are pretty understanding when it comes to charging them for powder or, you know, including powder or, you know, like making sure that we cover our, you know, cover yeah. our ask on the powder expense, including shipping. Um, you know, uh, we just did a we're doing a project for um, Oprah Winfrey has been building our house here for freaking forever. And I think going on like three years now. And, you know, of course, it's the typical like they, you know, the spec calls for this or whatever. And then the designer doesn't like it. So then you're having to redo it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, like if we order powder uh, for for a job like that, you know, we, we have a maybe a minimum order, if even if it's just a small thing, but they, they'll buy the powder and um, we'll try to use as much as we can of it uh, for that job. But then, you know, pretty much it just stays here and we reuse it. I haven't really found any kind of way to reclaim that money back or, uh, you know, we try to, you know, if it, it, it then becomes an in-stock powder for us, I guess, a special order, if we don't have, if we have unused uh, portions of it or pounds of it, and then we'll make it an in-stock color until we have no longer an in-stock color. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. So. Yeah. Um, all right. We do kind of the same thing for different reasons, I think. But yeah, we, we have a pretty much a set, a set stock colors um, that we have the samples hanging on the wall. And then if someone's like, Oh, I don't like any of those. And I want to special order something. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like we buy usually 50 pounds box minimum. So if you want to do that, you're going to have to pay for the whole box of powder. And some people are like, no problem, I'll do that. And then other yeah. people are like, uh, that's cost way too much. I'll just pick one of your stock colors. So. Yeah, I think um, one of the frustrations about uh, customers' own merchandise, COM, I call it COM, uh, is, you know, like the incident we had earlier this year where we had a difficulty uh, and needed a tech rep for, uh, for the powder supplier because we had problems with the application um, is I, I don't think we will ever do that again. I mean, you know, I get that they bought their own, you know, special transparent or illusion color from XYZ company or whatever. I appreciate that. That's good for you. But um, I don't know how old you've been sitting on that powder. I don't know where you bought it from. Uh, you could have bought it on eBay from a secondhand seller, thirdhand seller. I mean, like, uh, you know, there's just too many variables. And I, I just kind of had to put it into it um, because there's just too many, too many pitfalls with that, you know. So you pretty much have to buy powder from us. You know, yeah, plain and yeah we, don't, we don't let anybody bring in their own because just like what you said you don't know how long it's been sitting there and usually they don't have the data sheets with this and we try to have an SDS for everything on file just in case and so yeah we usually don't let people bring in their own powder because a lot of times you know even if it's we had one not too long ago they brought in a really 
um, low gloss black and that's the one they wanted. And, um, I was like, eh, we just, we don't spray other people's powders. We just, we use our own, we have our own flat black. It's going to match just the same. I'm like, Oh, I just really want you to use ours. I'm like, well, I understand it looks like it's the exact same color. So we, you think we might as well just use yours, but it could spray out totally differently. For some reason, it might not like the pre-treatment we put underneath it. And we just know that our flat black, that we hold it up here, so it is the same color. We know how we need to process ours, what film thickness we need to put it on at, what spray settings we need to use. We can just give you a better product if we use what we know, as long as it's and if it's going to look the same, we'd rather just use ours. So that's how we try to approach yeah. it usually. Well, yeah. I mean, you get used to it. You know its consistency. You know how to, you know, it, it, it's, yeah. I mean, you just know what you can stand behind. Um, and I don't know what it is about, like, these celebrities on Maui. I don't know. It just seemed like all the incidences we have. It, you know, we had this thing. We just did some stuff for Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac. Yes, he's retired here. He owns a he owns a restaurant. It's a very good restaurant. Actually, it's very popular here in Lahaina. And um, he wanted these lights sconces for his um, garden, I guess. And he ordered them from um, the mainland. And they were powder coated, very well made, uh, I guess, they make their own light sconces and then they powder coat them as well. But he, so he got them done, but he, for whatever reason, they didn't, that's right. He, he thought he could just order whatever color he wanted. And when we went to match the stock on this and called the lighting company to say, what color are you using? Um, we found, we found ourselves into a bit of a pickle because uh the sample that was sent from the lighting company, they use a box feeder. And um, instead of the, the uh, hopper, and because this powder had a metallic flake in it, guess what? All the metallic flake floated to the bottom. And so when you sprayed, when they sprayed the color, you didn't see the metallic and he liked that because it was less, it was more muted. Um, but then when we got the same exact color from the same exact supplier and we applied it, we use it, we use the hopper, which kind of keeps the metallic floating and it came out looking different than, you know, so then he didn't like that. And we're like, well, what do you want us to do? We just literally ordered the same exact thing that these people are doing, you know? So it was kind of strange. That was a new one for us, you know, a, a new pitfall in powder coating. Um, even with- Yeah, metallics are always challenging. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for joining us today, Chase. Um, so how can coders get a hold of you? Uh, we talked about your blog, but would you like to throw out maybe an email or a website? Our website is Kaser, K-A-S-E-R, blasting.com. Um, and then on all the social media pages, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, if you search Kaser Blasting and Coatings will come up. And then on LinkedIn, we have a Kaser Blasting and Coatings, but most of it just gets posted on my personal LinkedIn, Jace Kaser, J-A-S-E-K-A-S-E-R. So you can find us there. Um, I won't list off my email, but I think it's on our website somewhere. If you just have a question, feel free to give us a call. And we'll, we'll try to help if you can't uh, 
you can't figure it out from all the content that we have out there, definitely call us yeah. and we'll try to help you. Again, definitely head over to uh, the uh, Kaiser website and find that blog. I found it refreshing. I found it insightful. I found it um, educational for sure. And um, I appreciate you coming out on the show today very much and taking the time to talk with us and um, get to know you, you know? Yeah, I, it was nice to get to know you too. I really appreciate um, you having us on here. We've been wanting to to do some more podcast stuff. We haven't, this is the first one I've actually been on, um, but we've been talking about it a lot. So we were happy when you emailed us and uh, thank you. It was, it's interesting to learn about uh, the challenges that you have in Hawaii that I would never think of because we, you know, just locationally, there's a lot of differences. So it was interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, we'd like to thank our supportive followers and fellow powder coaters out there. I hope you've learned something new about your powder coating business. Please comment below, follow us, or share this podcast. Have a great day. Aloha.